Action Church, everybody doing well? Man, I got an extra hour of sleep. Excited to be here. Excited. Week two, brick by brick. Hey, before we get there, uh, we're in our expansion season. Uh, if you call Action Church home, you're very familiar with this. Uh, once a year, uh, we pray and we seek God. Uh, at Action Church, we do exist to reach people where they are and connect them to everything God has for their life. And once a year, on the second Sunday in December, uh, we pray, we seek God, and we ask him what we should give over and above our normal tithe to expand our ability uh, to reach people and to connect them. So if you call Action Church Home, be praying about that. I can't wait over the next few weeks to share videos and stories of all that we did last year through our expansion offering together and then give you some of our focuses for this year. You know, last year we had a goal. It wasn't a uh, number goal for us. It was an involvement or an engagement or participation goal. We're in the middle of the pandemic and COVID. So we said we're not setting a numerical goal for a total, but we wanted to have the most gifts, most families participate ever. And we set a record by over 150 families, 100 people that gave last year over a million dollars in one weekend over and above our tithes and offerings. I would clap too. I mean, you gave it, so we gave it together, yeah. It's like a big participation trophy we just gave to everybody. You Thank you for being a part. I cannot wait to see what God does this year uh, through, our, uh, through our expansion offering. We are in week two uh, of Brick by Brick, and, uh, and today is way more uh, of a teaching um, uh, next week, we're gonna preach a little bit. So if you wanna get a little fired up, uh, come next week. Today, get your notes out, get your uh, journals out, get your diaries out, get your phones out. You're gonna take a lot of notes today. I have 74,000 pages of notes. Like seriously, it's gonna be a long day. We're, we're actually not gonna have the 1230 service today. We're just gonna combine these two. And so hopefully you packed the lunch. Hopefully you got a little something in your stomach, a little caffeine, go grab you a cup of coffee. We're gonna be here for a minute. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seriously, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be a lot of swiping, a lot of notes. Uh, I really want to dive into Nehemiah 3 today. Before we do that, let me give you some context, just in case you missed uh, last week. And again, these three weeks build on each other, so make sure you come back next week. Some historical background, Nehemiah was the man who left Persia. He was the cupbearer, if you remember. He was really uh, on the king's court, highly valuable, uh, highly respected, trusted by the emperor of Persia. And he was sent back uh, because he had a, a mission from God uh, to go back and rebuild the wall that had been destroyed some years earlier. So Nehemiah, this book of Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. It's a continuation of the book of Ezra. Ezra went first, set up the, the temple and trained the, the, the leaders, uh, spiritual leaders of the city. This book was compiled from Nehemiah's memoirs or his journal, but was most likely written, uh, inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit by Ezra. The timeline for this book starts in 445 BC. Everybody say, that's old. That's old. Okay, everybody, not including Eddie, say, that's old. There we go. We're gonna be a lot of engagement today. This is a good lecture, good, good college course. The book of Nehemiah is chronologically, this was fascinating to me, chronologically the last book written in the Old Testament. It would have been paralleled with the book of Malachi, the minor prophet, the last book in the Old Testament, when Malachi was prophesying. We talked about Malachi last week kind of in connection with Nehemiah when it came to, comes to our giving. Malachi would have been prophesying in the times of Nehemiah as he was rebuilding this wall. I need to remind you that Nehemiah was not from Jerusalem. Been generations since his ancestors had been there, at least his grandparents, he would have never seen it, never, never been there, never ventured there. So I want you to get this today. Jerusalem wasn't home for Nehemiah. 
So Nehemiah's passion was God-given, not man-made. And as we go through these next two weeks talking about building, the, the only thing that God is building, which is the local church, that we're building it brick by brick, just like this wall in Jerusalem was built, just one step at a time, I need you to hear that I'm, I'm, I love that you have dreams, I love that you have goals, I have them myself, but I need you to know you cannot build your life pursuing what you want, you have to build your life pursuing what God calls you to it made no sense for Nehemiah to leave the court of the king as a cupbearer, wealthy, wanting for nothing, to go back to the dangers of Jerusalem to rebuild a broken down wall. He had everything the world would say that he wanted, but he had something on the inside of him that he was built for more, that he had a purpose from God. And Nehemiah leaving uh, Persia to come back to Jerusalem shows us three things. Write this down. Shows us the power of God. Him building the wall, the power of God. The second one, the power of purpose. That purpose will take you places that don't make sense to some people. Can you imagine Nehemiah going to tell his friends in Persia, hey, going back to Jerusalem, where? City's in ruins. You are, you, you did it. Nehemiah, you, you're there. You've arrived. You live in the gated community with all the cars and all the things. You have access to everybody. Like, no, the power of purpose took him outside of what made sense. The third thing, the power of unity, because the power of God, the power of purpose, and the power of unity built a wall in 52 days. And this wall was big, 1.8 miles in length, 40 feet tall, and 8.7 feet thick. It wasn't a beautification project. This was not on your HOA list. Can we just pause for a second? Is there anything... I'm sorry for all HOA presidents and boards in here. Is there anything that we waste money more on HOA? Where does it go? <laughs> Just paid my fees this week. HOA fees and taxes. I don't know where they go. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. <laughs> this room loves HOA fees and taxes. That's so weird. Do you love to tithe though? There you go. If you love <laughs> I'm just trying to have a little fun. We are this is not this is not this is not gonna be a, a fun one. There's still, get this, and then we'll get into today's message. There's still a section of the wall standing today, a few thousand years later. Today, I wanna to talk about the gates. See, the, the wall was built around Jerusalem, and gates were always really, really important in ancient times. When you had a fortified city like Jerusalem, this wall was built, it was important to have access points, which were gates, but gates were so much more than, than just an access point that they symbolized so many things. And in this book, Nehemiah chapter three, there's 10 gates mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. And each one had a purpose and a name. And the purpose of each gate translates to a modern parallel to our lives individually and our lives that we're called to build in the local church. Ancient city gates were important for many reasons. The city gates were important for defense. The weakest point of an ancient city was always its gates. Merchants would set up shop at the city gates and all kinds of business was transacted there. Criminals were executed at the gates. War strategies were planned at the city gates. The gates were important. And there was a method to rebuilding the city. And it started, and we're gonna go through the 10 gates today. And what I want you to see is the intentionality of God. And we're gonna bring it all together at the end, and I'm gonna make it make sense and be practical. But so many times, you'd read through the book of Nehemiah, and you'd skip over chapter three. Because it's just a bunch of gate names and people's names that, by the way, I'm gonna butcher for the next 30 minutes. 
<laughs> don't judge me. You're gonna be like, is he speaking in tongues? No, I'm just trying to read the Bible. <laughs> We'd go over chapter three so many times, but the intentionality of the word of God, the detail in the word of God, the things that we just blow over, if he didn't want it in there, he wouldn't have put it in there. There is nothing here out of place or by mistake. And so I wanna study this, this book of the Bible, this chapter of the Bible today, and I wanna talk about these gates. Are you ready? You don't really have a choice. You just have to leave inappropriately right in the middle. So we're gonna get through it together. The first one, the first one is this. Write this down, the sheep gate. The sheep gate. Elijah, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to the work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section of Zakur, son of Emery, built next to them. The sheep gate was where they would bring in the sacrifice to the city. See, every worshiper who came to Jerusalem had to offer a sacrifice at the temple, and when they did that, they were required to go through this sheep gate. See, every section and every gate had its importance, and the reason the priest rebuilt this gate was because of its sacred significance, because the people in the Old Testament would have to atone for their mistakes or their sins by offering a sacrifice. Make no mistake about it, God is intentional and the priest started with rebuilding the sheep gate because the spiritual things of God are the most important thing for you to build on. You cannot move on to the other nine gates or the other nine sections until you build on the sacrifice of Jesus. And to be really clear today that we no longer give sacrifices, we receive a sacrifice through our relationship with Jesus Christ. That before Jesus, we had to offer sacrifices to make our way to God, but God ultimately made his way to us through his son, Jesus Christ, so we don't give a sacrifice, we receive a sacrifice. And the sheep gate, as we're building this church, you're building your life, we have to start with the sheep gate, and that sounds weird. Why are we starting with the sheep gate? Because we have to build it on the sacrifice of Jesus. Before we build on anything else, good things, godly things, biblical things, you have to build your life on the sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ himself. It's gotta start with the sheep gate. John 1 says this, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. This is John the Baptist. He says, look, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world. The next gate, they, they built these in a counterclockwise rotation. The next gate was the fish gate. Nehemiah 3, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassaniah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And this was the gate where the, the fishermen would go out and come back. See, in Jerusalem, the, the, the main source of nutrition would have been fish. In fact, there'd be over 19 species in the Sea of Galilee they were fishing. The, the most common one was known as St. Peter's fish or tilapia. They would bring in 250 tons a year of this fish. It has nothing to do with the message, just thought that was an impressive stat. You're welcome. I studied way more than I did in school for this message. The fish gate is important because once we receive the sacrifice of Jesus, we know that at least four, if not seven, so somewhere between four and seven of the disciples, the original 12 that followed Jesus, at least four, but probably seven were fishermen. And when Jesus called them, he said, I'm gonna teach you to no longer fish for fish, but you're gonna be fishers of men. 
And to be really clear is we're building what God is calling us to build brick by brick, just like Nehemiah and the people of God. We receive the sacrifice of Jesus, but it cannot stop with us. The fish gate represents that the sacrifice doesn't stop. It keeps going, and you and I are not supposed to just receive the gift. We're supposed to give it to other people, that we're not just supposed to fish for things that sustain us temporarily, but we have something that can sustain us and others eternally, and the fish gate represents that we should be people of outreach and people of service and people that go out and bring and catch and find people that don't know Jesus and bring them back into the city gates. I had in my notes there that you would clap and we'd be excited about reaching people. No, 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 no. On to the next page. <laughs> Sheep gate, fish gate, third gate is called the old gate. Write that down, the old gate. This is just an eye gate, was repaired by Joadai, son. Next to him, repairs were made by the men of Gibeon and Mizpah and a bunch of other names. I'm just not gonna go there right now. That's just, we got too much time. It's a lot of consonants, it's a lot of names. That was supposed to be funny too. The old gate, everybody say old. old. It was old, that's all you need to know. No, I'm just kidding. For something to be old, catch this, for something to be old in one sense means it's no longer important and it needs to be discarded or replaced. However, on the other hand, old means that something is durable and reliable. And over time, it can even become more valuable. In fact, the old gate was a place of honor. It is the oldest gate in Jerusalem and the purpose of the old gate in Nehemiah's day was for the elders to come to that place for a meeting. So people of wisdom, people of the law, people of, of the truth, the people that were leading would come. The elders of the city would come and they would meet and they would discuss. And the parallels for us today, if we're building this brick by brick, is that we cannot change the old ways to conform to new ideas. Truth doesn't change. That's why it's truth. And so we can like it or not like it. We can agree with it or disagree with it. We can search for our own, which then makes it not truth because there is no such thing as your own truth. There's truth and then there's not truth. And so what this represents the old gate is that we cannot, as we're building our lives and building our families and building our church, we can have new ideas, but they better be built on an old truth that Jesus is the only way, that his word is infallible and without fault, without any mistakes. It's not popular, but I'd rather be not popular and on the side of God than popular and not. And you can't, you can't build it any other way. You cannot build it any other way. The old gate is not because it's outdated, because it's old school, it's because it's God's word. And when we differ from God's word, we should change, not change it. Next one's the valley gate. Everybody say valley. valley. Just wanted you to say it. Valley gate. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoa. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. The valley gate. There are three main valleys around Jerusalem. You have the Kidron Valley, you have the Teropian Valley, and you have the Hinnom Valley on the eastern, western, and southern side. The valley gate opens up to the, the central valley, which was a rugged ravine. It was tough to, to get past. It was tough to, to walk through. And the valley gate, if we're gonna build the, the things of God, I, I need you to know that, that you're gonna go through some tough things. 
building those wall, building the kingdom of God, there's gonna be some valleys. There's gonna be some hardships. There's gonna be some times where you, you don't know if you're, you're gonna make it. The Bible talks about mountaintops and valleys, and we're gonna experience both. What I need you to hear today is that, that you will experience both but you have the option of how you experience them. What I mean by that is you will face trouble. Jesus promised it, John 16, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So we will have valleys. So it's not if we go through valleys, it's when. But the question is, will you have the presence of God with you? Will you have started at the sheep gate on the sacrifice of Jesus? Well, here's what I wanna say. I'd rather walk through the valleys with Jesus than be on the mountaintop without him. Like I would rather go through this valley gate and through rugged terrain with God as my source and God as my strength than, than without him. And that's what he promises. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, like, like death is imminent, death is apparent, death is there, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And I just need to encourage somebody today. You may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't have to walk it alone. He can be with you. You can build this thing together. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. They protect me. This, this valley gate, building in this valley season is never fun. But what I found is a lot of times God uses the valley to prepare us for the mountaintop that he uses those seasons to get us ready to let us know that we can trust him, that we can believe in him, that he will sustain us. The next one, the next one is the dung gate. And that's kind of what it is. It's poop. Something you never thought you'd hear from a pulpit. I didn't write, it's in the Bible. This is in, this is in Nehemiah 3. What's interesting to note about this gate is out of the 10 gates, it was always groups of people, tribes of people, collection of people that rebuilt the gates. This gate, just one person, Malchijah, built it. And his name meant God is my king. We don't know why, but we know one man built this one. There was something that needed to be done that only one man could do. In biblical times, dung was more than just animal manure. Dung included human excrement, garbage, trash, and waste of any kind. Why am I talking about this gate? Because it's important. In fact, Jesus referenced this, this valley outside of this area, outside of the dung gate, 11 times out of 12, he referenced this area in the, to reference hell or Hades. Because when Nehemiah comes in, he comes in and he destroys all of, well, Hezekiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, they destroy all of the temples because the dung gate, the waste gate, the toxic gate is where Solomon built all the temples to the idols back in his day. Didn't build them in the city where the temple was. He built them outside of the city in the trash heap so what Nehemiah finishes, he comes and he destroys everything. He lights it on fire and this fire continually burned for hundreds of years. They were just burning their waste and their trash and Jesus would po point to this as, a, as an example or an illustration of an eternal uh, torment in hell or Hades. Why are we talking about the dung gate? Because there's always something that could be removed from your life. All healthy Humans, living organisms, process nutrients and get rid of waste. And there are things when we're building the, the things of God, the, the wall of God, the church that he's called us to build, there are things in your life that need to be removed 
so that you can accomplish all that God has to accomplish. And you know what that is. I don't know what that is. So there's things in your life. There are toxic things. There are wasteful things in your life. The next one is the fountain gate. The fountain gate, Nehemiah 3, verse 15. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalun, son of Koliza, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate is important because Jerusalem on its own had no source of natural spring water. Like it was not built on the water, so it was two underground springs that filled pools in and around Jerusalem. The pool of Bethsaida was filled uh, by, the, by, by one spring, and the main water source for the entire city was in the Gion Spring located outside of the wall. King Hezekiah in 700 BC realized how vulnerable the city would be to attack if their water source was cut out, so he developed a plan to bring fresh water into the city through the Gion Spring. The purpose of the fountain gate was for the people to have access to life. I need you to know today what it means for us here. It means what Jesus did on the cross, that he gave us access to life. When Jesus was ascending, he said, I go to my Father, but, but I'm giving you a gift. And it's better for you that I go away so that you can have this Holy Spirit. And this, this fountain gate gave them access to, to fresh water. And Jesus' sacrifices, we're building the things of God, gives us access to new life through the Holy Spirit. I need you to know today that you cannot do what God is calling you to do without the full empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I don't care what you believe about it, what denomination you have. I don't care what you believe about the gifts. Well, I, I do actually care. But, but for this conversation, I don't care. I need you to know that you have access to the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus said it's better that I go away, you have access to all that you need. The power of God is important. The power of God led Nehemiah out of his comfort zone and into his calling. The power of God sustained him. We'll talk about it next week against his enemies and against people that would come against him. You and I need this fountain of gate, this, this fountain gate, this fountain of life that only comes through a, a relationship with Jesus and gives us access to the, the Holy Spirit. We're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there. We got a few more. The water gate. This is not a, uh, a discussion on Nixon or his presidency. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. Kids are like, I don't know what that means. Study history. So <laughs> president, not a very good one, got removed. We're not going there. <laughs> Nehemiah 8, the Watergate. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the Watergate. They told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, the word of God, which is the Lord has commanded to Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. That's important. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law, God's word. It's noteworthy that two different times it says men, women, and all that could understand. And I was reading that this week and I was thinking about the church that, that we dreamed of building, that there, there is no waiting to adulthood before you find the call of God on your life. That kids, 
Middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, there's no junior Holy Spirit. You don't wait to mature to a place that once you've given your life to Jesus, your calling starts. You don't wait to a certain age to start putting bricks on the wall. It is right when you give your life to Jesus. You have gifts to offer the, the body of Christ. And if I could think of any age that needs to know who they are and who God is and what they're called to do, it's middle schoolers. They need deodorant and they need to know the call of God on their life. Just a couple things. It's a scary time. I don't want to go, I don't want to walk in a middle school or high school lunchroom right now. I would be nervous, like sweaty nervous. I'm a 37-year-old grown man. Everybody's judging me, talking about me, talking about each other. There's never been a more important time to show a young person that they matter to God, that they have a calling and a purpose, that they find who they are. All that would listen gather around this, this water gate. And the water gate symbolizes the church. The water gate was where Ezra gathered and taught the, the, the law. He preached sermons where elders and priests would, would come. The water gate was the only gate, catch this, that did not need any repair or any rebuilding. When the city was destroyed, all nine other gates were destroyed. The wall was in shambles, but the water gate stood. Why? I believe because the water gate represents the church. Because regardless of the attack, regardless of the enemy, regardless of the season of the strategy, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like it's the only thing he's building. It's the only thing he's returning for. And what he's saying here is it will stand the tests of time. It's why it's the best investment. It's why it's the best thing to give your time and your talent and your resource to because it's the only thing that's gonna be here. Facebook, Meta, Google, Netflix, they gone. Tesla, I love them, but they're gone. I don't know, Jesus may drive a Tesla. I get it, when he comes back, could be his thing. What I'm saying is the only thing that's gonna stand is God, his word, and Jesus returning for his bride, the church, and the water gate represents that there's nothing that will come against it. Here's the next one, the horse gate. The horse gate. Above the horse gate, the priests, made, the priest, they made repairs, each in front of his own house, the horse gate reminds us that we're in a battle. We're in a battle. Because the gate was used for the purpose of going to and from battle. The horse gate was adjacent to the temple area. That's, that's ironic. It's next to the temple. Because if you make the things of God a priority, you are signing up for a spiritual battle. The horse gate reminds us that we must always be ready to do battle. And if we're gonna build this thing, we're gonna talk about it next week, that the enemy will come against us I need you to know you're signing up for war. A war that we know we win because we've got the end of the book, but it doesn't mean that every battle is gonna be easy. And Jesus talks over and over, the Apostle Paul talks over and over about being a soldier for Christ and putting on the armor of God. And if you decide through this series or through this season that this is something that you want to do, that you want to live above yourself and beyond yourself, that you wanna build something that lasts, that you want to, to be who God created you to be, you're gonna have an attack. And so every single day, you're gonna have to say, I'm in for a fight. 
that I'm gonna put on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the shoes of peace and the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and I'm gonna pray without ceasing. I'm gonna be ready for this battle because we have a real enemy. But can I just be really clear? People are not the enemy. The enemy uses people. But people are not the enemy. People are the point. So we can never... We can never, we'll talk about this more next week, we can never allow people to get our focus off of building, but we can never make people who we're fighting against because we're not fighting against people, we're fighting a spiritual battle. Your fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and principalities in this dark world. The horse gate represents this. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, talk about this, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. You're in for a fight. 2 Timothy chapter two, endure hardship. That's not preached a lot in the American gospel, but it's in there like a lot. A whole bunch. Like all the disciples died except for John. Well, they all died. You get the point. They were all killed. And we think we're just gonna come in, raise our hand, pray a prayer, give a little bit, and we're just gonna just live this easy life. That's not, that's not the point. In fact, it's how, let's go back. In fact, it's how we live through the valley that shows people how great our God actually is. It's not hard. It's not hard to have joy when you're on the mountaintop. It's not hard to have joy in peacetime. It's hard to fight over and over again, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. Here's why it's worth it. This is my favorite gate. Never thought I would say that in a sermon. It's my favorite gate. <laughs> this is the ninth. We're almost done. Ninth gate is the east gate. You got to catch this. The Bible records many references to the east, including the Garden of Eden was in the east. When Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, God sent cherubim to guard the east entrance so they would not be able to return. When Moses fashioned the tabernacle that was used during the time of wandering, he was instructed to always make sure the entrance faced east. When Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, the entrance faced east. When Jesus was a young child, wise men came from the east to worship him. The Bible tells that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he will come to the Mount of Olives, east of the city of Jerusalem. The Bible also tells that Jesus will enter Jerusalem through the east gate. The East Gate reminds us of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the second coming of Jesus Christ means that whatever you're going through, good or bad, will come to an end. It gives us an eternal perspective that when you're going through the worst moments of your life, just look east, because east is where your help is coming from. I can look to the east, I can look to eternity. Am I actually saying look east? No, that's weird. What I'm saying is look past your current circumstance and look at an eternal perspective that Jesus is coming back to find and win the war and what we're building will last and will sustain when we build it on him. There's just a different perspective. And in fact, it's the only way you go through the valley and go through the horse gate and get prepared for battle is when you understand that we're not living for now, we're living for later. Just living for later. Here's the last one and then we'll get ready to close. The inspection gate. The inspection gate. The purpose of the inspection gate was the mustering of troops, the gathering of troops for inspection by the king. The inspection gate reminds us that we're all gonna stand before God for a final judgment. 
And he's gonna gather us, but not in a group, just one at a time. He's gonna inspect our life. And all of us, every single person that's ever been born will stand there. And the first question, the first question is pretty easy. What did you do with my son, Jesus? It's like a yes or no thing. How many of you love a good true false? Come on, growing up in school, come on. I don't know if they still do those tests like that, but I, I, true false, I could ace a true false. You know what I mean? I got one or the other. You don't have to study. You just have to infer. You know what I hated? Fill in the blanks with no word bank. Dear God. Talk about people being the enemy. That teacher. Also, my ninth grade teacher, algebra. Odd answers in the back of the book. All the homework was always evens only. She was working for the enemy. Satan in the flesh. This first test, this first inspection is not that tough. What did you do with my son, Jesus? And we're gonna ask and answer that question at the end of our service today like we do every single week. But the second one, the second one's a little bit tougher. What did you do with the gifts I gave you? What'd you do with the passions I gave you? What did you do with the sections and the gates and the bricks that I gave you? Because see, God gave you and me, he gave us a, a part to play. So here's the first thing I want you to write down as we get ready to close. Find your gate and section. Like discover your place in the kingdom of God. Where am I supposed to build? How do I do that, pastor? Pray. Ask God, what am I supposed to do? Why am I here? Why did you make me this way? I'm good at this and I've got this strength and this passion. And then take a step. Ask God and then take a step. And today at all of our locations, we have action step one happening right after this service. Free food, free childcare, answering the question, beginning to answer the question, who am I created to be and what am I supposed to do with it? Discovering your place in the kingdom of God. Here's the second one. You gotta collect some bricks. You gotta develop some tools, training, with the resources God gave you because he's, he's calling you and me to, to build on these, these sections of the wall. You gotta prepare and train. And then we actually gotta build our section. And I gotta put these on carefully because that would really ruin the illustration by knocking down the wall, right? Talk about that next week. People are trying to tear down the wall. Start building. Brick by brick. Maybe today you're called to start on the, the, the sheep gate section of the wall. Because before you decide to, to give something away, you have to receive it and you gotta build your spiritual life. Your next step is maybe not stacking bricks. It may be allowing God to rebuild some things in you. You say, I can't rebuild on the ruins. I am in ruins and I'm gonna take a step and allow the Holy Spirit access to all of me. Maybe your brick today is, a, is at the fish gate where, where you have gifts, you have energy, you have charisma. You're, you're called to live intentionally and to, to serve and to invite people to church and to bring people that are far from God into the house of God. Maybe it's the old gate and you're wavering on some things 
And before you build it the wrong way, you gotta build it the right way on the Word of God. And you gotta go back and find out who you are in Christ and what He says about you. And that is your next step to allow the old gate to be built in you, the truth that will last, that will stand the test of time, that will not be destroyed. Maybe it's a valley for you and you're not ready to build, you need to be restored. You need a freedom group, or you need action recovery, or you need counseling, or you need prayer at the end of our service today. You need God to do something and heal something in you. Maybe it's the dung gate, and you need to get rid of some things. Some toxic things in your life, some habits, some attitudes, some people that are meant to be taken out because God has something for you to do. Maybe it's the fountain gate. You've never allowed the Holy Spirit to have access to all of your life. You've kept them in the church bucket or the small group bucket or the Christian school bucket or whatever the bucket is, but he said, I want all of you and hit the fountain of life flowing through every relationship and area of your life. Maybe, maybe you're called to begin to stack by the water gate and build the church. Invest in something that will never fall down. We talked about it last week. If you're not called to build the Watergate, the church here at Action Church, find one that you can. There's so many great ones in our city. Just find one. Find the section at the right place and start building what God is calling you to build. Maybe it's the horse gate and it's time to go to war for your kids, for your business, for your situation. You're gonna build some things because you are gonna be an intercessor. You're gonna be used mightily by God in the form of spiritual warfare. Maybe it's the East Gate. And God's reminding you today that he's not done with you. In fact, the enemy would say, whatever you did to fall disqualified you from what God has for you. I would say that God is gonna use that season, restore that season rebuild just like Nehemiah did on the ruins and he's going to use those same ruins to build that new section of the wall and it didn't disqualify you it qualifies you because it gave you boldness and faith and power victory and empathy and God's going to use it to build somebody else maybe it's the gate of inspection today and you need to ask God to purify your heart and your mind so practically what I'm saying I'm just asking you to build your section your gate, start that small group, start that outreach, start trusting God with your finances, start intentionally living your life in such a way that people ask questions and you invite them into a relationship with him. Serve at that Christmas store at your location. Meet a need from somebody in the community, just start building. Whatever section, whatever gate, because this wall that Nehemiah built, it still stands today. So I just wanna challenge you to invest your life in building something that lasts, that Jesus is returning for. And let's build this section, this church, just one brick at a time. The power of God, passion from God, and the power of unity together, I think we can accomplish brick by brick what he's calling us to accomplish. Would you bow your heads today, every head bowed, every eye closed, at every location. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for your word today in the book of Nehemiah. 
Church, every head bowed and every, every head bowed, every eye closed. I wanna give you an opportunity. Talked about that in inspection gate and uh, it's coming. What did you do with Jesus? And I wanna ask you that question right now. What, what did you do with Jesus? Jesus being the perfect son of God, living a perfect life, dying a sinner's death in your place. Not because he had sinned, but because you and I had. And an unholy people could never be reconciled to a holy God. And so he died in our place. His death gives us access to forgiveness and grace, mercy and salvation. His resurrection gives us access to victory over sin in the grave. It's not something we earn, it's something we receive. How do we do it? We surrender. Say, God, I can't do it, so I give you access to all of me. You can do that right now. Be very clear that the prayer that you're gonna pray is the start, not the end. The Bible calls you to be a follower of Jesus, this disciple, but before you're a disciple, you need to make a decision. So I'm giving you that opportunity right now to make that decision, to begin that journey of following Jesus. If that's you today at Winter Park, at South Orlando, at Oviedo, at Sanford, worshiping online, God's Justin, that's me. I wanna make sure I get that inspection gate question right. What did I do with Jesus? I accept him as my Lord and Savior. If that's you today for the first time or, or even recommitting your life today for the first time in a long time, would you raise your hand right where you are? Say, I, I wanna receive Jesus. And several in the stadium, got one right here, second row, proud of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. A couple more here. Sanford, back there in the stadium, got you. Oviedo and South, proud of you. You can put your hands down. Would you pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud? Say this, say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth that I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. I'm giving you that place that I complete and total control. God, have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And God, I pray for all of us today, every single one of us. God, I pray this week you would allow us to pursue you. Take our next step. Find our section. Collect our bricks. Discover, develop, and then do something about it. God, let us take faithful steps in building what you're calling us to build. We give you all of the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody at Action Church said amen and amen. Can we celebrate all the decisions that were just made? Come on, really celebrate. I'm so proud of you.